Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Chris Ferdinandi to talk about coding careers. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, David. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, really great to be here. Awesome. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am... uh, I'm a web developer, a former HR guy who taught myself to code, pivoted into development, and now I, um, I help other people learn vanilla JavaScript um, uh, and kind of break into uh, web development as well. Um, uh, I, I found it really hard um, and then realized later it didn't actually have to be. So I spend a lot of my time now trying to make that transition for other people easier than it was for me. That's great. Yeah. I think one of the things that I that I love about what you teach is that it really can be much simpler than I think a lot of what, broadly speaking, the internet wants people to be to, to believe, or at least uh, how it's put out there. Uh, Chris also gave an amazing talk at JSLA recently about the lean web, which has a lot of those concepts in there. And um, his website, Go Make Things, uh, has a newsletter and all of these things that that has lots of little simple tips that I think are really good as well. Now, you you touched on one of the things that that I do want to talk about. So you actually switched careers and your your career focus before was HR, which is literally related to <laughs> getting jobs, yeah. which I think is so cool. So what yeah. was that switch like for you? Yeah. So um I I, to be, I mean, to be completely honest, I have several unfair or had several unfair advantages in terms of like making this transition. Um, and I think it's really hard to kind of talk about something like this without also acknowledging privilege um, in kind of how I got to where I am today. So I, um, I graduated with a degree in anthropology, which was super interesting. But unless you want to go like work in like literally in the field, like out, like on dig sites or um, studying other cultures, or you want to go and teach anthropology, kind of completing the circle. It's it's in many ways kind of a useless degree, like really interesting, but just not something I wanted. Um, my dad worked in HR um, and he helped me um, network my way into my first HR internship, which eventually led to me kind of working in that space. Um, and I liked it well enough to keep doing it. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's one of those, I had a lot of opinions about things that I didn't like about HR and ways I thought HR could be better. And, um, Mm. so I started blogging about them and I wanted to have more control over how my blog looked and how it worked and what sort of stuff was on there. So I started teaching myself, a little bit of code, um, leaning heavily on Chris Coyer's um, intro to WordPress kind of stuff. So that was really my context was I was learning HTML and CSS within the context of WordPress and PHP. And um, after a little while, I started to become known within my company as the HR guy who knows tech. Um, and uh, I hit a point where um, I was enjoying the kind of the techie web stuff way more than the HR stuff. Um, and decided that's what I really wanted to do for the rest of kind of my career life. Um, and I can actually distinctly remember the thing that made that switch for me. Um, so I was at the time working in um, the training and development organization at my company um, with a focus on career development for engineers. Um, so how to write resumes, how to go through an interview process, um, how to find your next thing and map out your career path and just kind of all this stuff that um, 
you know, people who have a very technical focus sometimes struggle with. And this wasn't like for external stuff. This was more like, you know, like, how do you figure out where to go from here in our company? Um, Mm -hmm. And so we had been exploring ways to teach people that weren't just sitting butts in seats in a classroom. Um, And so I had been playing around with this idea of like really short video-based just-in-time learning that you could access from anywhere, like on your phone. Um, And this is like responsive web design was just kind of becoming a... um, and so we had, my boss and I, we had, we had kind of kicked this idea around. We wanted to build a quick proof of, like a little proof of concept. And um, we reached out to our internal IT folks and they were like, we can do it. It'll take 12 months. It'll cost you. We're like, well, we don't really have that budget. And we definitely like, this is just a proof of concept. We don't want to like spend a year building it. We just need something. So we reached out to an external agency and they're like, oh, sure, we can do that in six weeks. It'll cost half a million dollars. And we're like, well, we definitely don't have that kind of money lying around for like a proof. So my manager, he's like, can you build it? And I said, definitely not. Like this involves way more kind of heavy programming skills than I have. This is the question that really changed my career. He goes, well, can you learn? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll give, I guess I'll give it a shot. So I spent like a week and a half in the bowels of Stack Overflow trying to figure out how to like hack WordPress into this like application thing that would do what I wanted. And um, it is still to date the worst code I've ever written, but I got it to work just enough to like demo a proof of concept. And um, in that moment, I was absolutely that I had gone from like this idea to this thing that I could make work and run anywhere um, was just really, really exciting. And that was the moment I decided to switch careers. Um, so I started spending um, a lot of my free time trying to do more projects and kind of brush up my skills. I started getting into JavaScript because I felt like I wasn't a real programmer because I was self-taught. Um, but real so quick though, that, that was a real that was a real fast turnaround between absolutely not to a week and a half. Is that really? What it was? Yes, but like this was this was a lot of like um uh like there was no so like a lot of the stuff you would expect from a proper application like being able to sign up, being able to change your password, being able to do like anything you'd want to do from like an account management perspective. This was like mm-hmm. I can create a WordPress account for you. You can sign in with it and see some stuff. Um it was basically like the full extent of it. It was the kind of thing that would maybe take me like half a day today, but like sure. It was a and and be pretty well written. It was like a huge deal back then. And the code was more, absolutely I think, horrific. I think more what I'm getting at is, is I, I like, I like hearing that just because I feel like there's a lot of people who are so sure that they can't do something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, two weeks later, it's like, oh, okay. Like, not perfect, but sure. Yeah, no, and it's worth mentioning, like, there was a lot of stuff in there that worked, but I had no, mm-hmm. um, sure. I'm sure there was huge security hole, but like, it doesn't matter at that phase. It's like, it's just the important thing is making something that worked. And one of the things I focus on as an educator that I think would have helped me a lot when I was first learning, there seems to be this big gap in the way we teach people where, um, you know, you go like really basic fundamentals. This is a variable. This is a function. Okay. Now we're going to build an e-commerce site. And it's like, (laughs) that is such a huge leap. And it's like really hard. And like learning momentum is such an important part of the process. Mm, I think um, as much as I love vanilla JavaScript, I actually don't care what people or what tool people use when they're learning. Because I think going from I have an idea to I made a thing that works and like I'm excited about that and I want to keep going is way more important than the specific tools at like the the beginner learning phase of your your career. and I think you've already established that theme, right? Like mm-hmm. when you were doing HR, you had a blog and a lot of 
a lot of what you were learning was to help you make your blog better. Yeah. And then arguable, that... but <laughs> <laughs> but there was that itch that you were scratching. And then and then you took it another step further where it wasn't just for you, but you were you started to scratch an itch for people you cared about, namely mm-hmm. your boss and your department. And um yeah, like you you were doing you were doing these things in service of a mission. And one of the problems that that, that I see it's kind of related to two examples that you brought up already, which was, okay, you go from this dictionary glossary learning, like this is a variable, this is a uh, an array, this is a function, and then you immediately go into, and now let's build an e-commerce site that you have no need for, and this doesn't apply to your situation at all, but, you know, it's huge, and figure it out. I feel like that doesn't really work well either. No, it reminds me a lot of the, um, if you've ever seen the, like, draw the owl um, <laughs> meme, you know, rest like draw a circle, yeah. draw another circle, draw the rest of the owl. Like it felt a lot like, um, it feels a lot like that. So, but the other thing about my career kind of transition was like, so I, um, I have along the way had so many, um, you know, I, 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 a lot of times I feel like I kind of lucked into this. So like one of the, one of the most important things. So here, let me pass this on. So the most important thing I learned from my dad about career stuff is, the importance of networking. Um, and like, I, I kind of hate it because it's that whole, like, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, like the, like the, it, it bothers my sense of fairness mm-hmm. that that is the, but it is unfortunately, things are starting to change a little bit there, but not fast enough. And that is the unfortunate reality that I think a lot of folks find themselves in. And networking is really, really uncomfortable for a lot of people because I think most people think about networking as like, I have to go to this event and then I have to make small talk with all these people that I don't know and it's super uncomfortable, but it doesn't have to be like that. And it's one of those, I learned a little bit about it going through my own career process. And then I learned about it more when I was working in an HR capacity. Um, And so what I always tell folks who kind of, are starting to think about like all the questions you might have about career stuff or many of them can be answered through more strategic networking. And so Mm -hmm. the way I like to approach this, whether I'm looking for a job or trying to figure out what I want to do next, or trying to figure out how to do the job I'm in better or whatever it happens to is I reach out to people that I admire or who have jobs I want um, not literally like I want to steal your job, but like you're doing a job I think I might want to do someday. Um, is my approach is to I reach out to them and I I ask them if I can steal 15 minutes of their time to learn a little bit more about what they do. Um, so pre-COVID, um, and back when I wasn't a fully remote employee that used to involve like, you know, can we can we grab a quick coffee in the like the office cafe and chat about what we do? Um, or what you know, what you do, like I'll buy. Um, these days it's more like, Hey, can we jump on a quick zoom call? I just want to ask you a little bit about your work. Um, and it works because people generally love to talk about themselves. Um, I have never had anyone say no. I have had people ignore me, but I've never had anyone say no. And I've gotten a lot of yeses, um, including from some people who are like pretty big deals in our industry that I wouldn't have thought would actually like give me the time of day. And that's been really, really cool. Um, yeah, I, I think we we expect a lot of people, especially if they're a little bit more internet famous, to be mm-hmm. so busy that they couldn't possibly have time to help someone yeah. that they haven't heard of. But a lot of the times, these are exactly the people who love helping other people. And as long as as long as you make it clear that 
this isn't going to be a huge ask. It's very bounded and yeah. um, it's not going to be a huge drain on them. They're generally going to be really happy to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, like a lot of these folks, like myself, had a lot of help getting to where they are. And so mm. I found there's kind of this, it's it's one of my favorite things about the web community, but there's this real culture around sharing, paying it forward, which I absolutely love. Um, but um, as someone who's kind of socially awkward in large group situations um, and like networking events, I find this method is just so much more easy and casual, especially if you go in with like three to five predetermined questions you know you want to ask. And I used to tend to use the same set of them. Um, so for me, um, it might vary a little bit depending on what I was kind of looking for, whether I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next or I was actively looking for work. But I would usually ask like, you know, can you tell me a little bit about what you do day to day? So like, mm -hmm. I remember when I was trying to decide between whether I wanted to be like a designer or a developer or someone a little bit more in the UX space, like really trying to understand what an actual day looks like was really important because you don't want to like go and get hired in a job you discover you hate. Like it's good to get as much of that, like HR, like you want to get as much of that yeah, totally. out of the way as, um, you know, as, as possible. So, you know, like what does a day look like for you? Um, one of the other ones that's really helpful is like, what sort of big shifts do you see happening in your industry right now? How do you see things changing in the next, you know, one to three years? Um, and that can give you a really good sense of the kind of things you should sing on. So like at the time that I was looking for work, responsive web design and kind of figuring out how to manage websites that needed to work on not just like a fixed width monitor anymore was a huge seismic shift in how we did what we did as a profession. Um, and that gave me a like, oh, if I focus on this, I'm going to be kind of poised for the slew of job descriptions that we should, or, you know, the jobs that will be opening up in the future. Um, so that was helpful. Um, and then one last question I used to love to ask at the end of every conversation was, are there any, um, you know, are there any other folks that you think might be worth me chatting with or reaching out to? Um, and some people would say no. Some people would say, let me get back to you. And then they wouldn't. Uh, but every now and then, you know, I'd have some folks here. Oh, yeah, you should talk to so-and-so, so-and-so. And so I'll send some emails and make some introductions. And then your network kind of grows like a like a web over time. Mm -hmm. um, and the key here is, is even if you're looking for a job, the idea is you're not going in and saying, hey, I'm looking for a job. Can you hire me? Um, if you're looking for a job, you mention kind of casually in the conversation that, you know, you're trying to figure out, you're trying to find your next thing or whatever. Um, and that maybe puts you top of mind if something opens up and it's a little less like I'm putting this expectation on you when you're talking to someone you don't know. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Um, yeah, it really is. Whereas, you know, if you're just like, oh, you know, by the way, like, you know, I'm kind of looking for my next thing. So I'm hoping to learn a little bit more about some, some companies or jobs or, and you can use this like super strategically. So I've used this to chat with people at companies I might want to work out work at. And like, these are not people who would actually hire me, but they work at companies where I'd like to work and they might hear of things that open up. So that's useful. Or they're in roles that I might want to do and they might know of something from industry friends. Um, but that was hands down the best thing I've ever done for my career. Um, and uh, it, um, you know, it's, it's kind of how I've ended up in every job I've had. Um, so I, mean, I think that's um, a very common, I think that's a very common theme. And I agree with what you were saying before about it feels a little bit unfair and it feels like that's not really how things should, should be done. <laughs> yeah. But I think that also ignores a, a lot of truth about how our world and society works, which is also its own system. It's made up of people and people are 
for lack of a better word, lazy and uh, <laughs> and a lot of like hiring and things. It's hard, right? And and part of the reason why you know I, I I do this podcast is I think a lot of junior developers don't actually know what it's like for a hiring manager. They don't they don't have a good idea of what hiring managers care about, what makes them nervous, what would make them happy, what would make them look good to their bosses, things like that. And and not having that knowledge can be a real disadvantage. And I like I like what you're saying about, look, just talk to them. You know, they'll they'll tell you. And it, it's difficult to to put into words just how useful that is. And, you know, it's it again, it's it's it can be that person, right? You might have a conversation with a particular hiring manager and just hit it off in such a way that they decide, you know what, I can, I do have a job. No one knows about it yet. Like, let me get you set up. Um, but in a lot of cases, it might be someone that they know and they can tell you, well, look, they're, they're really interested in, in responsive web design right now. And they're trying to figure it out. And if you can just prove that you know more about it than most people do right now, you would probably be very valuable to them. So that's what you should focus on. And so sometimes that just that inside knowledge uh, can be really useful. And it's just not it's 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 almost not realistic to expect that that these these people who are human can distribute that knowledge in such a way that that's perfect and accessible to everyone. Um, that information can't really transfer that quickly. And so the more the more effort that you put forward to get close to these people and get close to that information, uh, it can be I mean, that's a very abstract way of putting it, but it just might help to think about it in terms of the like the human system and why this stuff works the way it is and why it might be difficult to to make it more efficient and fair to to everyone. Yeah, the um I agree with all that. The other, um, the other aspect of this too, though, um, just kind of from the the HR side of things, is um, getting a job opening officially approved and posted through official channels is in many companies wildly inefficient. Um, mm. So the the HR term is requisition. So like the getting a requisition approved process involves. A whole bunch of things from, you know, putting together the job description to justifying the role to blah, blah, and getting sign offs on, you know, from your manager and maybe like the head of your organization and someone in the finance department and someone in HR, just all this like nonsense. And um, so a lot of times what will happen is you will get verbal confirmation that you're good to go, but you won't have the official like requisition in hand. You can't post your job mm -hmm. like for applications to come in. And that process, depending on the company, can take a couple of weeks. It can and <laughs> by the time that happens and you're like, okay, yes, we can actually hire someone and pay them, like you you could potentially already be like months with this role you need unfilled. And so you want to get it filled as quickly as absolutely possible. And so many hiring managers, especially those who work in inefficient larger organizations, will start informally looking for people through their network before anything ever gets posted publicly or opens up for applications somewhere you would see it, you know, a job board or their website or whatever. Um, and, you know, they'll do that by talking to their employees, talking to other people they know. And um, so that networking trick that we've been talking about 
allows you to hear about those opportunities before they get posted. Because by the time they get posted, there's a good chance that hiring manager already has a short list of three to five people that they think they want for the job. Um, and posting it just becomes a formality and they kind of ignore those resumes in case, unless something like really, really amazing comes. Um, so, uh, you know, you may see a job and apply for it like the day it opens up and the job's actually already been, just don't know it. Um, so job boards just suck. Like they are the absolute <laughs> worst way to find a job. And I think it's also how a lot of people kind of go about trying to find, uh, their first jobs. Not that they never work, but, um, it's like, it can be a real uphill battle. I hate the job board process. I try and avoid it whenever I can. Yeah. So one of the, the pieces of advice that, that I give people who, who are looking, um, so obviously I run JSLA and a lot of the people who attend JSLA, they'll, they'll do it because their company is hiring and they recognize that as a place to find talented engineers or at least passionate engineers who want to spend their free time listening to other JavaScript nerds talk about JavaScripty stuff. And um, so a lot of the people at JSLA are looking for developers. And if you talk to them, they're not going to be particularly shy about it. And in many cases, it's going to be like what you just said, where the job isn't officially posted because that takes a lot of work or time, depending. So I used to work at Disney and AT&T, and both of those would be as fast as you'd imagine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, you know, the, these jobs are kind of open, but kind of not. And <laughs> it's just really useful to talk to someone and be like, oh, so what are you working on? Like, oh, like you know, that sounds really interesting. It's, and then they'll say like, yeah, we're actually looking if you know anyone. And they'll even go further to say, yeah, this is this is a project where we're converting a bunch of old Angular 1 stuff to React. And it's just a lot of that work. And you can kind of turn around and basically say, that sounds really interesting. Uh, you know, can I get your contact info? I'll follow up on this. And in, bet in between the time that you have that first conversation, the time that you follow up, there's kind of nothing stopping you from taking a, an Angular 1 application and converting all or part of it, depending on you know what you have time for, to React, writing up a blog post about all of the different edge cases and weird things that you ran into, and then following up and basically saying, like, your conversation was so interesting, I couldn't help but try my hand at it. And I put up this resource that maybe someone on your team might find useful. And oh my God, there's so many hiring managers. If they see that it's kind of done, like at that point, it's just, it's like, like, Hey, come in, you know, the team would love to meet you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's an awesome trick too. I like that. Um, but yeah, so so that happens all the time at JSLA. Uh, I personally have have gotten jobs that way um, a long time ago, and yeah, I, I it seriously hiring managers are human, and if you put what they're looking for that's going to make their lives easier or better right in front of them, they they'll generally go for it if it if it makes sense. Now, on the other hand, if you find that you can't actually convert an Angular 1 application to React, then it's probably not a good fit for you, you know? Um, but there are going to be other people that when you talk to them, they tell you, oh, you know, we're just looking for some basic responsive web design. You're like, oh, crap, I've done that a million times. You know, that <laughs> that, that is a good fit. Um, so it's, it, it, that actually, that fit part is an interesting one. Um, I do find a lot of people that I talk to are, are trying to find any job 
at all right now. You know, there's this, well, I just want to get a job in tech and then I'll figure it out. What do you, what do you think about that attitude? Is that a good way to go? Um, it depends. Um, so I don't think it's a great way to go, but I also think that, um, or also feel like um, kind of have to start somewhere. And so like the flip side of that is I also meet folks who like they're holding out for that perfect first job that's going to give them absolutely everything they want. And uh, that's not always realistic either. Um, and finding that kind of that balance can be tough. Um, so, uh, you know, for example, you know, I'm, I'm not really into using like frameworks and libraries. And one of the things that a lot of my students struggle with is a lot of them are not either. And they're like, but all the job descriptions I see, like they want React or they want, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, like if you're going for your first, like I'm in a position now where I can turn down work because I just don't like the job description. But like earlier in my career, I didn't have as much of that luxury. And so, you know, if you're trying to get a job and you're trying to break into the industry, um, you may have to do some work that like you're not really wild about just to kind of get more of that experience, especially because recruiters, for whatever reason, love to post entry level jobs that require three to five years of experience. That makes <laughs> no sense at all. Um, it's just kind of a, a thing. Um, Must have five years of experience with. Yeah, spells. I do have some kind of like um, like for me, there are bigger red flags. For I think the nature of the work not being perfect can be totally fine if you have coworkers that you absolutely love or you're in an environment that is really supportive of learning and development um, or a manager who really puts a lot of time or energy into growing their people um, or the pay is really good or the commute is awesome. Like not everything has to be about your career. Um, I used to care way more about my career a decade ago and now um, work is kind of a thing that subsidizes my life and not mm -hmm. like I don't put as much personal value in, um, you know, like in my work as I, not, this makes it sound like I, I, I crank out crap work and don't care. It's not that <laughs> it's just like my, my sense of worth as a person and self-identity isn't nearly as tied up in the work I'm doing as it was like earlier in my career. And I think that's something that happens to a lot of people just as like the gray hair start to come in and yeah. the hair on your head starts to disappear, you know? Um, I, I used to have that a lot with talking about, I, I have always loved working remote and I haven't haven't had an easy time of understanding people haven't, but a common, a common one would, that would come up is like, but I really like going to the office and seeing all my coworkers and hanging out with. And my response was kind of a little bit, if you squint your eyes, like what you're saying, which is, well, I don't need that my job to provide me friends. I can do that on my own time. But on the other hand, look, that is eight hours, you know, however much you work. I mean, that's eight hours a day that you are going to, you know, you, you want to be around people that you like. So I do understand it. The important thing I think is, is identifying what's important to do. And that will change over time. But, um, you know, so a good example here, my first actual dev job, I spent two years trying to find a dev job, dev job, or a year trying to find a developer job in the company I was working at as an HR person, because um, it was a tech company. And I eventually figured out that they outsource all of their interesting work to agencies and then use offshore teams to do like maintenance. And so maintenance. that just wasn't a possibility. Um, so then I spent another year trying to get like a job outside of that company. Um, and uh, my first dev job was at a company where um, 
My coworkers were awesome, except for the team lead. He used to love to throw nerf darts at people when they were like really zoned out and focused on their code. And like, I'm a little ADHD and I don't like say that in a glib way. Like, I mean, like, you know, it's really tough for me to get focused on something. And when I lose that focus, it's tough for me to get. And he used to just love to like F with people when they were like in a deep focus, which is kind of ridiculous. But aside from him, the like the coworkers were awesome. Um, and the office was really cool. And the company put a huge priority on learning. Every Friday, they used to do lunch and learns where either people internally would share cool stuff they were working on and what they learned, like new tech, or they'd have outside speakers come in and talk about really interesting. It was amazing. I've never worked at a company with as much of a learning focus before or since, but they were really far away from where I lived. And I had already been working remote before I started working, but I... I, I talked to the hiring manager up front about remote and she was like, ah, it's not really something we can do at first, but we can talk about it a little bit more, like explore that idea once you get settled. And I was like, okay, I, this is, you know, we're talking about like giving up a little something like to get that first job. So I'm like, all right, I can deal with like a crappy commute for like a little while while, you know, I get some experience. Um, and so for, uh, Every time I went in for an interview, it was 45 minutes one way. And then I went in for like actual traffic, like morning commute oh, times yeah. and it doubled. So I was spending three hours in a car every day, um, which really sucked. So I got settled. I talked to my manager about the work thing. And she's like, oh, no, we'll talk about that. Just, just not yet. And a month goes by, I bring it up again. Yeah, no, 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 not, you know. So finally, two weeks later, I bring it up again. And she's like... Uh, she's like, no, it's, you know, it's it, not, not yet. It's not time. And I'm like, well, when do you think it will be time? Cause I feel like I'm pretty settled in my role. Like I know how everything works. She's like, well, you know, to be honest, that's just really not something we do here. <laughs> of course. And I literally started looking for another job that as much as I love, like the learning culture, I love my coworkers. Um, it's just like, that's the kind of stuff that speaks to like, you can't, there's no way to like undo that. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's like, if the answer was no, we don't do that. Just say that up front. And then like to really drive the nail in the coffin, a couple of days later, the head of the department had an all hands meeting where he talked about how the expectation is that everybody will be in the office every day. And people were taking advantage by like coming in late or leaving early or working from home because like the weather was bad or like whatever. And that like just really sealed it. I'm like, all right, leaving is the right. And I then, have like, the, such a similar story to this. <laughs> the kicker is when I gave my notice, my manager was shocked. And then the head of the department who just like, you know, days earlier had given that whole like everybody in the office thing was like, oh no, I didn't mean it like that. Is there anything we can do to get you to stay? And I'm like, yeah, dude, your manager sh should have let me work remotely when I asked for the, like three months or told me that wasn't a thing you guys do. Like, this is, I'm yeah. sorry, now I've got a job that's fully remote. Yep. And honestly, they're going to pay me better. So yep. like, sorry, yeah. you know, and I so have, like <laughs> my, my point with all this story though, and I, I'm sorry, David, I don't mean to interrupt no, you. Go ahead. Like, no, go ahead. My, my point with all this is like, I think some people would have let that slide and like, I'm willing to kind of like some stuff I don't like, like I didn't really love like all the code I was working on either. But like, that was one of those like a values thing. Like you told me you would do this and then you bait and say, like, mm -hmm. that's not okay. And for me, like remote work and like that qual like life quality is way more important than like how much I love the work work. The job I moved into after that, the work was so much more boring and the culture was so much less yeah. learning focused. 
but I had the lifestyle I wanted and that mattered a little bit more. Right. And I think it is important to recognize what's what's important to you. And uh, that was that was very clear to you. Uh, I, again, I, I have a very similar story where it was the same thing where when I came in, it's like, oh, we'll talk about that. And I kept bringing it up, bringing it up. And it was eventually it was like, no, that's just not going to happen. And I also remember the day where it used to be really flexible about when you could come in and leave. And I was like, okay, well, at least there's that. And then it, then all of a sudden it was, there was one day where it was, no, everyone has to be here at 9am. And yes, I understand how spoiled I am where it's like, no, I have to be in at nine, burn it to the ground. But then it was like, all right, fine. Like you used to get so much of my time for basically free because I would think about your problem all day, every day. You know, it wasn't just this nine to five. And as soon as they put that stake in the ground where it's like, no, you have to be in at nine. It's like, cool, now you're a nine to five. And all that mental energy that used to go to you is not. And that other energy is going to be is going to mean that I'm blogging and putting a bunch of mm-hmm. stuff out there. And it was I think it was only a couple of weeks where one of my blogs got attention and I started, you know, getting people reaching out to me and I took a job that was remote and it's like, see ya. And again, they were shocked because that's just how it works. I don't think employers realize, um, not to, like I'm a, I'm with you. Like I'm a huge fan of remote work. I would never go back into an office. I, I like to joke that I'm feral now. Like I just can't, <laughs> I can't do office life. But, um, yeah, like I don't think people realize how much, it benefits the company when you're remote too. I think there's kind of this like, oh, you know, you're just going to be like watching TV and goofing off all day. But like, no, that time that I would have been spent commuting, I'm yeah. I'm doing work. Um, not all of it, but like a good chunk of it. I'm thinking about work, like, especially like the kind of work we do. I don't know if you find mm-hmm. this, but like I have peak, I have eddies and troughs and when I'm productive and they don't always align with a nine to five schedule. Like I get a surge of creative juice after dinner and I just completely slump in the afternoon. And like, mm-hmm. that would be better for the company to have me like going for a walk with my dog during that, like right. my brain is completely shot period than doing more work at night. Like it just doesn't make sense. Um, the other thing about that company that wouldn't allow remote work is they really prided themselves on having a cool quote unquote workplace. So it was like, you know, mm. happy hour Fridays and um like they had arcade machines all over the office and a skee-ball machine and like free snacks. And they had absolutely no problem with me spending two hours a day playing skee-ball <laughs> and video games as long as I was right. in the office. Right. But if I worked more hours from home, that was a problem because they're not mm-hmm. that kind of workplace. Like I just don't, I could kvetch about this for hours. Like this is yeah. a big. <laughs> I've, 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 I've also more recently worked with clients. So, so my thing now is building remote teams for, for companies, like helping them build engineering teams. And I remember. There, there's one, like no one, demand for that now. I don't know how you, <laughs> how you make it. David. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the, what's funny is how it flipped like, right? why, like after I, I started, but uh, <sighs> even like, it's so funny. Yeah. It's one of these clients who, started I started working with them before all this happened and it took a lot of convincing of like no seriously you should like remote all these reasons and a lot of founders they are so attached to this idea of like having their perfect clubhouse with all of these super creative developers around them at all times and everyone's having interesting conversations and are playing games together and 
I totally get that. I, I understand why that is so attractive to just build this fun clubhouse that you want to hang out in all the time surrounded by interesting people that work for you. But that's kind of different than building a product or a service for your customers or clients. And yeah. Uh, absolutely so, and yet like you yeah like yeah. i get it it's just not it's personally not for me it's kind of a moot point right now yeah although really interesting thing i get a ton of emails now from recruiters you know this this position is going to be remote while covid's happening and i'm always like okay so you know what happens post covid and they're like oh you have to come back in the office we don't do remote. And i'm like but you do you already <laughs> know the job will work remote like this is absurd and like the, there is something to be said for like seeing your coworkers face to face and like the camaraderie that comes from that. But like, there are plenty of companies that have figured this out. You have like quarterly or annual get togethers mm -hmm. and you get that time and then everybody goes back to their lives. It's not like a huge deal. Um, yeah. It's like, should, should there be team building intermixed with like serious heads down work or can they be separated? And I, I don't have the answer to that, but. I think a lot of companies do make it work where, okay, here's the, here's the offsite. We're all together. We get to have fun. We get to bond and become friends and everything. And then that'll carry us through where we're heads down working on hard problems. And other companies think about it a little bit more like, no, those are the same thing. You know, we should all be together face to face uh, while we're heads down and working. And I don't know. I, I, I think it's also tough if you're not an engineer, um, like if you're not a software developer, I, you know, just to stereotype like sales might be different or these other departments. Um, and so it's it's tough. Now, I, going back to, I think, what was originally uh, <laughs> the point of all <laughs> this <laughs> the point of all of this is, I, yeah, how do you find how do you how do you figure out what your values are? I think for a lot of people, it's not going to be remote or not remote. Like, no. what are those values? Like, how do you find, it, you know, if it's not the day to day work? Like, is it the company? Is it the mission? Um, other than that, maybe it's something maybe it's like the type of work and not so much the language. Like recently, there was a, a tweet thread that was really interesting. It was sort of saying that front end versus back end is a misnomer and it should be more like product focused or infrastructure focused. Like how would someone go about finding out what they care about? Yeah. So honestly, at, for me, I can't, can't speak for it, but for me, the only way that I've found where I can really learn what those things are is to try a bunch of stuff and mm. fail. Like I know some people are really good at kind of like inferring through other means or they have a very clear plan but i'm a little bit like winnie the pooh i just kind of like bumble through life like trying different pots of honey <laughs> until i find one that tastes good yeah. um but like um yeah it could be all of those like i have friends who love working for nonprofits and don't mind the lower salaries that come along with that and the grueling hours and kind of the emotional drain because they're so inspired by like the mission driven aspect of the organization um yeah i know i I'm not like that. Like I like what nonprofits do, but like the kind of things I like, like I, I'm a Disney addict and I love taking Disney world vacations. And mm -hmm. as someone who used to work at Disney, David, you probably know those aren't cheap. And well, they're so, cheap when you work at Disney, you get I'm the sure they're silver cheap entrance yeah. pass. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as a non-Disney employee, um, not that I'm planning on going now with on, but um, you know, like I, I, I want a salary that supports my go to Disney World a day, for example. And so like for me, like the combination of salary and free time are the things 
at this point that I care about, but like earlier in my career, like meaningful work and coworkers that I could learn from was really important because I didn't know what I didn't know. And like having, mm. I didn't have a like really strong networker yet. So having people that I could be like, I'm really stuck on this thing. Can you help me? Um, was really awesome. I didn't really care so much about front end versus back end. I just really liked using code to solve problems. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I think things change over time too. Like these days I get way less excited about code itself and specific techniques. And mm. I am way more motivated by helping other people who are newer in their career have that same like spark of excitement that I did when I was learning. And like, I've had a couple of students who, um, they got HTML and CSS really well. And then they're like, oh, I just like, my brain is not wired for JavaScript. And I know that feeling because I felt the same way when I was trying to learn. It's less, um, it's less plain English than I think HTML and CSS are in terms of like kind of terms and functions and things like that. Um, but um, being able to help, like I've had a few people literally be like, I think I'm just going to like give up and something else. And to have those people go from that to like, oh my God, I get it. I built this thing. I got my first job. It's like that really, really excites me. And so I think for me, the two things are, um, it will change over time as your career kind of what excites you today and what's important to you today certainly won't be the same thing that's important to you 10 years from now. Um, just as your life changes, your kind of personality changes, things like that. Um, the other piece of it is um, you can, I think, get a good sense of the kinds of things you might find interesting through the networking techniques we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. But yeah. the only way to really, really know is to dive in headfirst and try some stuff. Um, and, uh, David, are you familiar with Dan Pink? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, like the he wrote what Drive? Is that he he wrote ones? Drive. Yeah. He used to be a speechwriter for Al Gore. Um, he's written a couple of interesting books since then. He talked a lot about like kind of the science of what motivates us, and some of it is a little bit of like the like Malcolm Gladwell esque cherry picking data to tell a good story kind of thing. <laughs> but like, I think there's some really good stuff in there. And one of the things he talks about a lot is how. Um, you know, people have this idea that if you just follow your passion, like everything else will fall into. And it's a little bit more than that. It's about finding the overlap between your passion and the things you're good at and the things that companies are willing to pay for. And oh, yeah, that, like triple um, Venn diagram. Yeah. Really? And they don't always like, there are plenty of things I'm passionate about. Like I love playing D and D no one's going to pay me money. Like I'm not like streamer quality yet. Um, I don't know. You're pretty entertaining. <laughs> and, Try it um, out. You know, if you like watching someone who swears a lot and sings uncomfortably, I'm your, I'm your guy. Um, I'm sure there's an audience, but <laughs> there's an audience for everything these days. <laughs> but like, um, uh, you know, the other piece that I really took away from his stuff earlier career was that just because you're not passionate about something in like the sense, like I love puppies, I'm really passionate about like saving the lives of rescue dogs. Um, you know, like I'm not so passionate about system integrated systems logistics for large manufacturing distributors in the northeast but that doesn't mean that i couldn't have a fulfilling career working at a company that does those sorts of things like one of the things i discovered even in hr which in retrospect i'm not really like wild about as a profession but there were lots of things i loved about working in hr and one of those things was literally solving problems like working through interesting challenges for whatever for people for organizations it didn't really matter i just loved problem solving that for me is the thing that really resonates with me about coding but 
that as a driver could apply to a bunch of different professions and industries and things and types of jobs. And the only way to really find it out is to throw yourself like really seriously into something. And like, there are lots of like boring jobs that you can, it sounds like crappy to say learn to love, but like you may mm-hmm. discover there's things about these boring jobs that are actually really interesting um, as you get deeper into them. And you would never know from looking at the surface. Um, yeah. I've, always, I've also heard about it on the flip side where it it's kind of like your strength is what you are able to tolerate. Like there just might be something that like other people find really dull, but that's totally fine for you. I don't, I don't know if I fully recommend that approach for people who are starting out, which is to mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, find, find what like you can tolerate. Like that's just the wrong I think. No, and I angle. certainly don't. I hope, I hope it didn't come across as like, that no, thing. no, that's, that's what I'm not, saying. Not but, what you know, like, saying. like don't, there's kind of this thing in our space too. Like everybody wants to work at like, well, maybe not so much now because of all the like privacy issues, but like Facebook and Google and like these companies that have the big, like kind of name brand draw. Um, mm. But you can do really interesting things at either companies that no one has heard of or um, companies people have heard of that do really boring things. You know what I mean? Like widget manufacturers can still have really interesting jobs and they pay really well and they have very stable hours and they ride through economic downturns a lot better than like Mm -hmm. hot new startup does. And like, there's plenty of benefits to doing like work at boring ish companies. I, I actually highly recommend it. I love working at boring companies (laughs) for me. Anyways, it's a based on the things that are important to me, which is that balance of, um, you know, like a good salary and more like freedom of time. It checks all the boxes for things that are important. Um, but I also, you know, I, 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 I think a lot of people get hung up on the fact that like, oh, I don't work for, you know, insert a hot new company here. Um, but you can still have a really great career not working at or ever working at one of those. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, I think that's it for time. Uh, Chris, this has been this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Yeah, absolutely. David, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I have put together a special page on my website with a whole bunch of links to stuff that we talked about um, in this show, um, as well as a link to grab a career guide that I wrote for web developers oh, a couple so years back. Yeah, glad you did um, that. Yeah. You, can, you can grab a free copy of that. So that's uh, gomakethings.com slash junior to senior. Um, with dashes between the words, but um, if you forget them, it should redirect you to the right page anyways. Um, And uh, so that'll get you um, links to a bunch more interesting stuff about the things you and I talked about today. Um, Free copy of that career guide um, and also um, a place where you can sign up for my daily developer tips. Awesome. Yeah, highly, highly recommended. And I'll put this in the show notes as well. Uh, Perfect. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, David. This was a this was a really really good time. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me next time for Junior to Senior. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortoseniour.io. I'll also put that in the show notes, and you can get more information about joining our private community. Thanks, everyone.